Hey, this is Vanessa. I'm the Prevention Services Coordinator at King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, or KSARC. This is Building Resilience, a project with the purpose of equipping people with what they need to end sexual violence. This episode is the second half of my conversation with KSARC Speakers Bureau member and former client, Heaven. In the first part of the conversation, Heaven shared how sexual assault and abuse impacted her family and what that initial response was like. In the second part of the conversation, she goes into her and her family's journey of healing at each stage of their lives. I really appreciated how candid and honest Heaven is about her growth and learning that she's experienced since the seven years that her daughter first disclosed the abuse. So if you haven't listened to the first part, I'd recommend listening to that for a better context on what is being discussed in this episode. As a heads up, this episode contains discussion of child sexual abuse, domestic violence, and self-harm. So if that's too much for you right now, um, feel free to skip this episode. The healing process is actually a day-to-day journey. It's not an overnight thing. Uh, You're not going to find healing right away. Um, I knew in the very beginning that my children were going to need counseling. Mm -hmm. And when we had the officers there in our home, they really didn't have any resources uh, for such an event or for the aftercare of trauma. Mm -hmm. So right after everything had happened, I sought out counseling and my oldest daughter kind of went and saw two different ones and we just couldn't find the right fit. And along with her, I had my other three children, you know, seeking counseling as well because we've had a huge traumatic, life-changing, altering event happen. And it was kind of like we were dealing with a death, but yet it wasn't a death. It was uh, trauma. Mm-hmm. Huge sexual, loss in the family. Yeah. Right. And a, a sexual abuse trauma mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. two of my children. So um, after my ex-husband was arrested and taken away, days later we had found out that he was touching my youngest daughter as well, who was four years old at the time. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had to come to terms with that as well. All of a sudden, um, like I had mentioned before, my oldest daughter told me, you know, if she kept quiet, um, things would be okay. You know, our, our health insurance would stay intact for the, my sons. And she was also manipulated in such a way that if she was to remain quiet, he would never touch her sister. Oh my gosh. So she was very irate when I had told her, you know, that my youngest daughter came forward through an event that happened earlier in the day, just me giving her a bath. Things just kind of came out of nowhere for her. And uh, my oldest daughter was really confused and saying, no, he promised, he promised he wouldn't touch her. He promised me if I kept quiet, mom. And So, you know, when you're talking about healing, there's a lot of aspects with healing. And it, there's a lot of cubby holes mm-hmm. that children growing up in this kind of a household, they tuck away uh, certain events um, and certain traumas to those events. And so that's why when I was saying, you know, healing 
isn't an overnight thing mm-hmm. and it's a day-to-day occurrence. Mm-hmm. You know, we're seven years out from just his arrest, but you know, this is the seven years plus the seven and a half, eight years of trauma that happened prior. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, every day is a different day. Every day is, you know, something that might come up or maybe might not. But through seeking counseling, uh, my oldest daughter, we just couldn't find the right fit. And by chance, we went to the prosecutor's office uh, so that she could explain her story to the prosecutor. And one of KSARC's advocates were there working um, as a volunteer. And she happened to overhear me say, you know, I'm trying to find, you know, counsel for my children, but for my oldest, it's just not, I don't know what to do. I know she needs help. And so this advocate took me aside when we were all done uh, out in the hallway from the prosecutor's office. And she gave me her card and said, you know, KSARC can help you. And for the first time during this whole process in the beginning, I felt a glimpse of hope Mm -hmm. uh, for myself, but also for my family. And she had explained to me that, you know, not only do they have um, people there at KSARC to help my daughter, they also have, you know, people there to help parents, Mm -hmm. that there's a parenting program. So that way, as a parent, you can go through this program to try to understand what your child or children are Mm -hmm. going through as they're healing Mm -hmm. and kind of what to expect. So I brought this information home, talked to all of my children, um, just because we are a team Mm -hmm. and we are in support of each other. Um, My oldest daughter was very hesitant and she was, you know, just beside herself saying, this is just going to be like the other ones, mom. I really don't want to do this. I'm so tired of, you know, repeating all this information. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, let's just give it a shot, you know, and I'm going to go with you and I'm going to see someone too. You know, we could do this together. Mm -hmm. And uh, because my youngest one was so young, we did bring her as well, but she just wasn't quite Mm -hmm. ready. Right. Maturity wise and which I can explain in a little bit about that. But um, we did go. Thankfully, uh, my oldest daughter, Anna, was just so happy that we did go. And she came away, you know, very, you know, insecure mm-hmm. in ways, um, unsure, but hopeful. And uh, for children, they have a program as well. It's not a forever type of mm-hmm. counseling program. Um, it just kind of is based on that child's needs. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, during the process that they're hitting each milestone that they need to, you know, hit and get through and um, it, there's not a particular time set frame, mm-hmm. which was great. Um, and so, uh, through all of this, you know, my daughter, she did the whole entire program. Uh, for everybody, it's it's not just a couple months, but it's not years either. So for her, her particular case, uh, she was going for about a year. Okay. 
Um, and I went as a parent, I did the parenting program. I went for a good, I'd say six months. Mm -hmm. And this was weekly meetings for about an hour. And this is where I learned a lot. Mm -hmm. So I walked in to my first meeting and realized as I was walking out that yes, my children were sexually abused, but also me as a wife and a partner and my marriage was extremely toxic and I didn't see it. I was also, I realized I was in a domestic violent marriage. Yeah. And that was a shocker to me. I sure. thought, you know, domestic violence is more, you know, in my mind, it was somebody being hit or beat mm -hmm. up um, or just abused. Mm -hmm. And I also never would have seen this coming with even the lifestyle that we lived. Right. It was a huge shocker. Yeah. And uh, my uh, counselor gave me the the power of control, that wheel. It's a mm -hmm. diagram. Mm -hmm. And it explained everything. And I was just so, I was very, very sad, very emotional, mm -hmm. very, like all these emotions just kind of came flooding. Um, cause even with that, there was a lot of financial control. Right. And here this person was, he was a celebrity in his line of work. He was very well known worldwide. And we lived like this white picket fence type life. And you just would have never have known that he was living this double life, you know, behind closed doors. So, um, so in this parenting program, you know, I learned a lot about myself. I learned a lot about um, also what to look for in my children as they are healing, uh, to be open to communication and not be forceful for that communication. Mm -hmm. um, I also was taught, you know, and this is so true because now that we are seven years out, I can actually go back in my mind and pinpoint times of age phases is what I would call it. There's different ages and stages and phases of life where different types of healing occur. Mm. So like at the time my oldest daughter was 16, you know, she's going through the teenage years, middle of high school, all those emotions, um, hormones, you know, starting to date, um, the anger that comes with the dating because she had such pent up frustrations and the wrong message of what dating should be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was like a stage and a phase that we had to reteach her. Mm -hmm. And as she went into, you know, graduating high school, going into college, that was a whole nother stage and phase of healing that had to occur of, you know, becoming an adult and, you know, finding good friends and not being afraid to use your voice and which she did learn. And at that age in college for her, you know, she was able to be an advocate for people who needed help. They came to her and she was able to direct them, mm -hmm. you know, 
or actually physically take them to go file police reports for sexual assaults. And uh, people felt very comfortable to go to her because she was so open and started to use her voice and wasn't afraid to stick up for herself or anybody else. Yeah. And now she's in her early 20s. She's, you know, in a really good, solid relationship. But it's another stage and phase of Mm -hmm. healing that she's having to figure out Mm -hmm. and learn of what is safe for her. Right. um, And what is acceptable or or not tolerated in a relationship Mm -hmm. and how to feel secure in a relationship. Because for all these years as a teen and, and starting to date, she was even engaged at one time uh, and she had learned, you know, that about herself through all of this, that of what she wanted and didn't want in a relationship, mm-hmm. and which is, you know, typical for that age as well. But mm-hmm. when you're dealing with sexual abuse and that kind of a background, it just is a totally different level right. of figuring yourself out mm-hmm. because you were manipulated for so long into thinking what was going on was normal mm-hmm. when it's really not. Um, and as for my youngest daughter, I was taught, you know, maybe she's not ready to really get that healing or counseling right now, mm-hmm. but here are the signs you need to look for, for when she is. Mm-hmm. And so I was able to know, you know, roughly when she's about seven or eight, she might start to come out and say more. Mm, or feel more comfortable of what happened to her at Mm -hmm. that age Um, or just behavioral changes to Mm -hmm. look, you know, to watch out for. Right. So even though she was four, I, no joke, by the time she was seven, seven and a half, she started getting very angry very easily, Mm. frustrated over the, silliest things, even though they weren't silly to her right? in a normal setting or normal peer, that would be silly to get frustrated over. Right. But she would get so upset that she started hating herself and hitting herself. And I'd have her go in her room to try to calm down and give her that space. And it, you know, she'd start throwing things in her room and a lot of anger that I just, it hit me saying, okay, this is a sign that she needs help now. She's ready. And so that's when I had called KSARC right away to get her into counseling and, Mm -hmm. you know, her start the program that my oldest had gone through and was a success for her. Mm -hmm. Um, I knew it would be a success for my youngest. Yeah. But, you know, just waiting for that time. Yeah. Um, it all came at the right time, but it, it's also very hard to see happen Mm -hmm. as a parent. Um, you don't want to see your child hurting themselves. Yeah. I can't imagine. Yeah. And you don't want to see them not loving Mm -hmm. themselves. So that, you know, I'm getting a little emotional because even to this day, she's 11 Mm -hmm. and there's things that trigger her. Sure. And we have continued counseling for her because she does struggle with that um, self-image of herself. And I know and she knows that it will get better. 
But like I mentioned, you know, every day is different. You don't know what you're going to wake up to when you have a child that's healing through, you know, going through all of this and trying to figure out who they are as a person and where they're going to fit in this mm-hmm. society yeah. or where they're going to fit alongside their peers. Mm-hmm. Because even, you know, she's mature in a lot of different ways. They let the ways that she's mature in are ways that a child should not be her exactly. age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have open communication. So whenever she has a question, I answer it truthfully. And I might even, you know, kind of give her a little bit too much information, but I also <laughs> want to make sure mm-hmm. I'm answering everything that she might be questioning. Yeah. So, you know, to this day, as an 11 year old preteen, she struggles making friends because she knows too much, mm. but yet she knows too little. Right. It has somehow set her back uh, maturity wise in growing as mm-hmm. a normal uh, child throughout these years, um, but it has also increased her maturity level on a totally different platform. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and throughout different seasons, I had mentioned this before. Um, we all have different seasons in our life. Mm-hmm. It's the same for someone who's healing after, you know, sexual abuse or sexual assault. There's seasons of the year that trigger them and they don't see it coming. It's almost like a subliminal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I have personally remembered when to expect the meltdowns for my, all of my children, Mm -hmm. mostly my daughters, my boys, you know, they've kind of, kind of come out of these as we've moved along, but my daughters without a doubt, every fall and every spring, Mm -hmm. something triggers them Mm -hmm. and they have these meltdowns where I'm getting a call from my oldest daughter you know what she's taking a break from work and in the bathroom just hyperventilating and having an anxiety attack and doesn't really know why just something that someone said just in a off way totally triggered her um but it's always in the springtime and it's only for like a couple of days and it's always in the fall and it it just lasts for like two or three days um but they're they tr- they're just very very emotional And, um, I have to, you know, help them count down, take a deep breath and remind, you know, more so my oldest daughter, okay, well, let's look at the situation. Let's see how it could have played out differently, Mm -hmm. but also let's give yourself grace because look at the time of the year that we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden she will remember, oh my goodness, you know, you're right, mom, Mm -hmm. it's it's springtime. And here we are, you know, and then she'll remember, okay, this isn't really how it needs to play out. This mm-hmm. isn't really me. This is just one of those moments. And, um, and the same for my youngest daughter, you know, she's all of a sudden will just melt to the floor, even with certain smells. Um, that one was kind of 
it came out of, it just comes out of nowhere um especially this the sense but you know we kind of know what those are for her and we've done a little bit of therapy to try to introduce those scents back into her life as a positive gotcha mm-hmm. um but it takes time yeah and healing is huge mm-hmm. and it's it's not overnight it's mm-hmm. this is something that my children are going to have to handle and cope for the rest of their their entire life mm-hmm. their entire life and you know it's heartbreaking and as a parent you can sit there and there's either there's two ways you can deal with it there's you know where you can sulk and let yourself get so low and depressed um which is okay for the mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. but you as a parent also have to learn how to pick yourself back up and be that strong person for your child or your children um someone that they could grab a hold of and be able to come to when they're down um so you can you know there's the, there's the two ways you can sit there and stay depressed or you can get back up and move forward and it doesn't have to be you know hippity skippity let's roll mm-hmm. it's more you know a slow one foot in front of the other process mm-hmm. um and you know you just have to give yourself grace through it and you have to give yourself understanding that it's okay to be emotional but you also have to be uh strong mm-hmm. and uh, just pull yourself out of that. And I know it's not easy and I know not everybody can do it, Mm -hmm. but, um, I'm a firm believer that you can, Mm -hmm. as long as you, um, you know, you have to know that it's okay to be sad and move on. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, healing is a process. Mm Mm-hmm. It's kind of like peeling an onion. Mm. As you peel back the layers, there's more things that come out. Mm-hmm. Like in an onion, there's more smells. There's more flavor. Mm-hmm. It's the same as healing. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I Yeah, I think about your youngest daughter, you know, learning what triggers her. And that's the process a lot of survivors have to go through and um, – it's so hard to not have control over that situation and understanding, you know, right. How, how you're going to respond to things. Um, right. I, I talked to a lot of teachers and educators about how to be, you know, trauma informed in the classroom. Have you had to have conversations with your daughter's teachers and. Oh yes. What does that look like? Uh, well, she was in, I, th- I believe it was second grade. Uh, maybe it was first grade, the end of her first grade year. Well, she has an IEP mm, or no, okay. no, 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 not an IEP, a 504 mm. um, because she has PTSD from this now. Right. Um, she also has ADHD, um, but we've created a 504 program uh, plan for her. And uh, she was outside during recess one day playing. They're doing cops and robbers type play, you know, something mm-hmm. that you would do back in the day when, you know, in the 80s, you know, <laughs> 90s. They don't 
do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't really allow that kind of play mm-hmm. in school, which is fine. But these kids were all playing this game and tag or whatever of cops and robbers. And um, she doesn't have very many friends, like you mentioned. So mm-hmm. the few friends that she has, they kind of know what she's gone through. And I've mm-hmm. also talked to these parents just to let mm-hmm. them be aware of if sure. their child comes home and says, this is what happened to Ellie. They kind of are able to understand mm-hmm. and support the conversation. Right. Or if there's questions, they can call me and mm-hmm. I can, you know, explain a little bit more. But uh, my daughter ended up getting in trouble for playing this game during recess. And I was, uh, you know, emailed about it just to be informed. And during the same time, um, so I'm the kind of parent where my kids don't leave the house with anything above the knee. So mm-hmm. dresses, skirts, it's mm-hmm. at knee length or longer. Mm-hmm. Um, and their shirts have to be appropriate. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, even though I honestly, my whole mindset of, of all of that has changed sure. over the years. Uh, it was my way that I could only do my best to protect my children mm-hmm. while they were away right, and out of my care. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even a high, my high schooler, there was mm-hmm. no, you know, short shorts and low tops. No way. Mm-hmm. Even it just, I didn't allow it. So for my youngest daughter, it was the same rules. And um, there was this one day where she showed up and she had a cute little plaid skirt on. It went to her knees. She had cute little boots on, um, a long sleeve shirt and a cute sweater and these little earrings that my oldest daughter gave her. Well, they were a little long, but she was proud to wear them because her big sissy gave them to her. mm -hmm. These are earrings that she has always wanted. So I was like, yeah, sure. You know, you can wear them to school. You bet. Well, next thing I know, the school counselor is calling me, telling me, that and she is well aware of our family history of what's happened. So she's telling me that my daughter is inappropriately dressed, that she looks like a prostitute. Whoa. And that I need to come and, you know, bring her a different set of clothes. And as a mother, as a parent, I was extremely shocked by this because of how I am with my rules of what we Mm -hmm. wear and what we don't wear out of the house. Um, So I go to the school and before I went, I made sure the principal was there because this was almost like the counselor was, oh, and and the counselor had mentioned that, you know, no wonder why things have happened. And I was livid. And at this point, you know, I, I'm a, a speaker for the Speakers Bureau mm-hmm. Case Arc. I have been very well informed mm-hmm. of what to expect, you know, taking my parenting classes. You know, I, I know this is going to be a situation where I'm going to have to educate somebody mm-hmm. or somebody's. So, oh my gosh, I go to the school. The principal is there. I walk in and I asked to speak with him. 
And, you know, I was very calm because you can't walk into a situation being like this hysterical Mm -hmm. mother, Mm -hmm. let alone a single mother. Mm -hmm. Because when you are a single mother, there's a whole nother realm of things that you get judged for. Right, right. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to walk in there with my head on straight and to speak eloquently, Mm. but yet to the point. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to educate this principal, not only on how ridiculous his school counselor was being and blaming my daughter for something that was not her fault, Mm -mm. but also educating him that there was, you know, most likely a much higher percentage rate of children that are out there on that playground at that moment that are getting sexually assaulted or abused at home, but just haven't said it. Yep. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I said, I guarantee you here's the information. I even had like a pamphlet because I had just came back from another speaking engagement in California and they had these pamphlets and I just happened to have one on me and I gave it to him and I said, you need to read this because it's obvious that you have not been educated on this at all. Oh my goodness. And so, you know, it kind of woke him up in a way I know he was not expecting to be, (laughs) um, but it also made him realize, you know, that he needs to be more aware. And there are children that are, even though they have, people coming in once or twice a year to give that good touch, no touch talk. Mm -hmm. Cause my oldest daughter had that and never said anything. Mm -hmm. These kids will not say anything, especially if they are manipulated in fear. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm just having to march in there like that and educate him and then educate the counselor Oh, my word. It was an experience I'll never forget. Um, It made me wonder if maybe the counselor, you might have some back history of herself. Mm. Of, um, you know, I didn't want to get into that with her, but I encouraged her to seek counsel, even with her being a counselor herself, because just her verbiage of what she was telling me over the phone was inappropriate. Oh my gosh. Um, and not acceptable at all. Mm -hmm. So yes, I have had to educate teachers, um, as well. I go in and every year that you get two teacher parent conferences and I kind of give them a good, uh, heads up, but also, you know, a little bit of an education, um, not only of what to expect with my daughter, but, you know, for them to be open-minded and have their eyes opened to the possibilities of this going on with other families. So um, it's been really good. Unfortunately, you know, there has been some things where the teachers will ask me, hey, heaven, you know, I can't tell you what is going on exactly, but what do you think about this situation, mm. you know? Um, And I don't know what students they are, but I would say, you know, this is not a good situation. Um, 
and I really feel these parents need to get some um, counsel. Mm-hmm. And and I always give them case arcs information. Um, I give them the police department's information, um, and they take it from there. But you know, it's it's kind of a it's a crazy thing because you would expect as a parent that mm-hmm. these educators have been educated on this. Yeah. Especially a principal mm-hmm. and especially a school counselor. Right. Um, but they are not. Yeah. Which is very uh, heartbreaking and upsetting. At yeah. The same time. That's very concerning that you had to do this educating for yes. them. And that they didn't realize how pervasive child sexual abuse is that you had to say, hey, there are statistically going to be other survivors on that playground right now. Yes. And that they hadn't considered that. Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm clearly like in a bubble working at KSARC and I assume that everyone thinks this is a huge problem, but it goes to show like we have so much more work to do when it comes to yes. simple awareness. Yes, there is so much, mm. so much. My kids are very involved in sports, and I have had to literally sit down and have parent meetings to educate them. Just, I mean, that's kind of just how I am, too. I'm that kind of person. But, you know, also my youngest, Ellie, she is not afraid to use her voice. Mm-hmm. And I have to let these parents know that. Um, a little bit of what we've gone through. And if their child does hear something from Ellie, mm-hmm. that this is why. Mm-hmm. And to see them realize like this is going on in their backyard mm-hmm. and they don't know it. They've never thought of it. Or it could even be under their same roof like it was mine. They are just flabbergasted mm-hmm. and shocked. And, you know, they thank me for, you know, educating them and making them aware. Um, but I can't imagine if we didn't have to go through this, you know, where these parents would be or what they would have to go through. Or, you know, I tell them what signs to look for or, you know, perpetrators are out there. Mm-hmm. And so to, to educate the educators on this was kind of a shock for me, but um, I'm glad I did because mm-hmm. they, they needed to know this information. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think about how much harm they and other folks might have caused unintentionally by, you know, kind of making those remarks that the counselor did, right? Like, oh, well, this behavior, no wonder this happens. Like, yes, that's completely unacceptable. Um, Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had to do my own countdown with that (laughs) conversation. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yeah. And I also talked to some educators that, you know, they realize maybe like outbursts in the classroom, maybe things that look like tantrums um, could, you know, potentially be trauma related rather than just a kiddo acting out for the sake of it. Um, And them having to really kind of like do that switch in their brain of like, oh, this is what that is. It's not them just goofing off or. Right. Or even just like 
a child who could be diagnosed with ADHD or dyslexia or, um, you know, just naughty behavior. It's not always that. It's they might not be sitting still or they might not be able to read because they got so much deep down in their minds going on because of such abuse. Um, they're just not able to focus. And so, you know, like my youngest, she struggles with school and, and I, I, I like I was saying, each, each phase brings up something new and, we got to just kind of cope and understand and get through it. And um, it affects her grades too at the same time. It affects her behavior in the classroom. It affects her behavior at home. It affects everything. So as long as, I think what's most important, as long as you have your teachers on board, you have your family on board. If your child is in sports, you have their coaches on board to support that child when they have these triggers, um, it makes a huge difference. And they're able to get through it much faster. Um, you know, let because it, it takes a village. A parent can't do it all by themselves. And when you're dealing with, you know, broken families and being that single parent, whether you're a single father or a single mother, raising your child by yourself after such a tragedy, um, you have to at some point allow yourself to trust certain people, um, learn to trust really, but to trust certain people to help you and create that village for your child. Because without it, um, it's hard and you'll feel alone and um, you don't want that for yourself or your family. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I can only imagine how tricky that is because, you know, your trust was betrayed. Your daughter's trust was betrayed. And I can imagine, like you said earlier, it takes a lot of relearning that you can be vulnerable in that way. Yes. Um, but I can imagine it's also also scary, right? Like if if yeah. your own father or husband did this to you, like what else could happen? Um, right. So that takes a lot of courage. Yeah. And you have to also understand that none of that, of what they have done, was your fault. Mm-hmm. I think uh, sometimes parents blame themselves. And they spend the rest of their lives running mm-hmm. from themselves, but also running from uh, the situation and meeting it out ahead and dealing with it. Um, and uh, now, you know, like I was saying, like my oldest daughter, she has become that advocate for college students. And yeah. my youngest daughter has become a voice to reckon with mm-hmm. at 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, if bullies try to bully her, she, she handles it right then and there Wow, and, you know, is not afraid. Mm-hmm. Um, and she kind of tells it like it is. <laughs> and, you know, meanwhile, it's, it's good. She's that way, but at the same time, it's because of what we've gone through is why she's that way. 
Um, I, I don't wish it to be different for her because whatever we've gone through has made her who she is. Mm -hmm. I know that she is building those building blocks to become an even stronger individual as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with that. Um, so, you know, healing is a, as a daily occurrence Mm -hmm. and, um, yeah, it's it's been a a busy seven years. <laughs> it hasn't stopped. Yeah. And that's okay. But, you know, parents need to realize it's a forever thing. Mm-hmm. And yes, it's unfortunate. And yes, it sucks. And I hate to say that, but it does. Yeah, yeah. You know, your heart is torn up. And all you ever want for your children is to be safe. Yeah. And for whatever moment that they weren't, it's not that parent's fault. Mm -hmm. Things happen that are totally out of our control. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, things happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. And you have to have hope in that. And there's a lot of growth and learning in between it all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever situation parents are going through, it's only going to make them stronger. Mm-hmm. It's only going to make them want to get out there and make that change and be that change and be that voice. Um, and it's only going to, and, and if they are that, if they choose to do that, their children are watching every move. Yeah. And they're going to become that as well. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, it's not only going to touch one person's life, but it's going to have a, a trickling effect or a mm-hmm. domino effect um, or a ripple that it, you know, with my children seeing what I do, mm-hmm. they have made choices to get out and do what they have done to help others. Yeah. And therefore, you know, those kids that they've talked to or those kids that they've helped will do the same Mm -hmm. because they have learned it's okay to use your voice. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say no. Yeah, absolutely. And even just modeling for your, your daughters and your sons, um, that it's okay to talk about these things and be so vulnerable. That's huge. Um, I, I know there are so many survivors, you know, parents out there that are like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to let anyone else know what's going on. Like, this is just my internal sort of struggle that we're going to deal with. But yeah, yeah um, I think that's so powerful that, yeah, your daughters and you are able to talk about this and be so outspoken about it. Yeah. I've learned there's a lot of healing just in being vulnerable. Mm, mm-hmm. As hard as it is, the more you are vulnerable, the more healing you get from from it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad that you got connected to KSARC services, even if it was kind of, you know, just yeah. being in the right place at the right time. Um, yeah. Timing. Yeah. It's meant to be. Yeah. Totally meant to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I am glad to know that, 
you know, there's legislation moving that's saying like, you know, survivors need to automatically be connected to an advocacy support yes. service. Um, I, yeah, that way folks know they're not alone and I, yeah. Well, and it saves time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a frustration, you know, yeah. t- teenagers, they don't have time. No. They want to be on the next best thing. Mm-hmm. And especially in this kind of situation, they don't like repeating things. Sure. They don't want to have to keep telling this strange person Mm -hmm. their personal business. Mm -hmm. And so if we could just provide that resource from the Mm get-go, you're saving time. You're saving, you know, these children's lives, really, Mm -hmm. and creating a positive change for them because then they're going to get the help immediately and not have to, you know, be like a yo-yo going from one place mm-hmm. to the next, to the next, trying to find help. Yeah. It's yeah. all in one place, even mm-hmm. for the parents too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure that was really great for your daughter to know, like you are also getting, you know, support and work. You're in another room at the same yeah. time as her. Um, that really normalizes it, I'm sure. And, you know, yeah. makes people feel like, okay. Yeah, it's not just me being a, you know, weirdo that needs support. We're we're all doing this. Um, right. So, I think yeah, I think that's really powerful. Here are some tangible takeaways that Heaven wants to share with parents who are supporting child survivors of sexual abuse. I would say some some takeaways for today uh, would be to allow time mm-hmm. to have patience. Mm. Uh, to also know that there is going to be a lot of change. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you think you have it under control, there's going to be another change. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Um, it's part of the healing process. It's part of growth. Uh, it's also just part of being human. But when you are put in this situation... Uh, there's just a little bit more change that comes along with it. So you have to be patient. You have to be very understanding. You have to be open-minded because your child's life depends on it. Mm -hmm. It really does. Uh, You have to keep that communication open, whether it's something you want to listen to or not. You need to be open and accepting. Mm. Um, and sometimes your your child, they're not going to want to hear the rights and the wrongs and what they should have done. You just need to have a listening ear mm-hmm. and just let them get it out. Yeah. Because sometimes when you do that, there's more bits and pieces that are coming out that they have tucked so far behind. Um that will come out that will be better for them in the long run. And when they are coming to you and talking to you, it's part of their healing process as well. So I think that would be some good takeaways for today. Those are excellent takeaways. All right. And to just, you know, love on your child, Mm -hmm. remind them that they are so loved Mm. And how proud of you, or how proud you are of them. Mm-hmm. 
uh, and to tell them this, they need to hear that. Yeah. Because children don't always feel proud. Mm-hmm. They feel scared. Yeah. They don't know what to do. They feel lost, mm-hmm. alone. They feel like they did something bad. And you just have to just dig deep down within yourself as a parent. And no matter what they're saying, just be that positive person for them. Mm-hmm. Build them up and encourage them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so important. Yeah. Building Resilience is a project of King County Sexual Assault Resource Center, or KSARC, located in Renton, Washington. KSARC works to provide direct services to all victims and survivors of sexual assault in King County, Washington. Visit our website at kcsarc.org and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at KCSARC, or send us an email at education at kcsarc.org. If you've experienced sexual assault or abuse, know that you are not alone. There are resources to support you in your healing process. There are a number of community sexual assault programs that are similar to KSARC around the country. Visit the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network at rainn.org to find resources near you. Thank you to Heaven Struthers Randall for the content in this episode, for Deanne Yamamoto for assistance with the content, and to our super producer, Logan Bessie, on editing, consulting, and mastering the audio, and for the immense support in making this project possible. Please subscribe to Building Resilience on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you find the show helpful, please spread the word and share it with a friend. Thank you.